You are tuned in to Awaken Radio with Connie Chapman. To listen to more episodes, go to ConnieChapman.com or subscribe on iTunes. Hi everyone, this is Connie and welcome back to another episode of Awaken Radio. Welcome to my first podcast for 2017. It is awesome to be back here with you for another year of Awaken Radio. I am excited for today's conversation because I am bringing you a beautiful and inspiring conversation with Guru Jagat. And let me introduce her to you for those of you who don't know her. She is the youngest senior Kundalini yoga teacher in the world and the face of the new Kundalini movement. She is the founder of Rama Institute for Applied Yogic Science and Technology, a premier yogic institute in, with locations in Venice, California, and Palma de Mallorca, Spain. Guru Jagger's other entrepreneurial pursuits include Rama TV, the Netflix of Kundalini Yoga, and her record label Rama Records. Her non-profit work has culminated in the founding of the Rama Foundation, whose mission is to introduce this fastest growing modality of yoga, meditation and wellness to underserved populations throughout the United States and abroad. And she is also just about to release her new book, Invincible Living. Welcome Guru Jagat to Awaken Radio. It is beautiful to speak with you. Thank you, Connie. What a what a beautiful intro. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I was just saying to you before that I have been reading through your book last night and this morning and really um, exploring your teachings and philosophies and, and all the different facets of what you cover in the book, everything from the Kundalini yoga practice to health and wellness to relationships and sex and creativity. And I just, it's such a beautiful, holistic um uh, approach and and in-depth exploration of of um of your teaching so i'm excited to dive deeper with you today and where i want to begin with you is with the most obvious place which is kundalini yoga because that's obviously what you teach and share and what you practice and uh, i would love to hear a bit about your journey of getting into that and what initially brought you into the practice of kundalini yoga and and also what made you decide to want to devote yourself so deeply to practicing and then teaching this with other people as well well um i was i was definitely you know i grew up in kind of the new age circus of the 80s and so there was always a drum circle or a Hare krishna temple or you know vegetarianism at the time was quite you know wild you know when i came to when i came to a school with tofu sandwiches i was quite a riot maker um which hasn't changed much but uh, that was you know back then it was like oh my god a tofu sandwich um <laughs> and i grew up in the country too. I grew up uh, kind of, you know, West Virginia, Virginia, Maryland area. So it wasn't definitely not de- particularly forward thinking. Um, so I uh, had kind of grown up in a way of just looking for deeper answers. And, and I definitely saw the people even in the spiritual arenas at the time, um, to me seemed a little, you know, there was a lot going on even in the spiritual kind of arenas and people seemed very confused and lost. And so I kind of at an early age made a commitment to myself that I, I wanted to go deeper into the human experience and, um, 
that that was kind of why I came here. And that was a pretty early decision. So um, that's kind of what my life has been about, my mission. And I was on a journey of that self-exploration through uh, meeting some other teachers. And I I was really kind of um, lucky enough to travel with some incredible teachers and and sanghets of different spiritual and and yogic kind of practice. And then um, post 9-11 living, I was based out of New York City and post 9-11, I um, kind of stumbled into Kundalini Yoga. And um, the first moment I was in a Kundalini Yoga class, I was so deeply moved that I knew that I needed to get to the source of these teachings. And Yogi Bhajan, the master of Kundalini Yoga, who brought the teachings to the West, was still alive at the time. So I was very lucky to have um, a little bit of the master's touch, is what we call it, mm-hmm. um, some time with him in the last part of his life, and um, and still very, very lucky to be with my living teacher, Hadi Jiva who um, practiced and, and studied and devoted himself as well to his teacher, Yogi Bhajan, over uh, 40 years. So that's kind of how I got into it. And um, I, you know, very early on realized how deeply and quickly it changed me. And then I was so deeply touched by Yogi Bhajan and his commitment and devotion to his lineage and his teachers. And um, I feel strongly about the teacher-student relationship. I think it's kind of a a misunderstood relationship, especially in the West. But um, it is a relationship that is, you know, very, very, very uh, important and valuable to me personally. Um, so I, I just, you know, kind of took, um, his, um, instruction to start teaching at, um, a school in LA that he had created for Kundalini yoga and, uh, spent a decade there, um, after he passed teaching and, and watching people transform before my very eyes and working with a lot of kind of the A-list LA kind of crowd. Cause that's just the way it goes around here. And, and just, you know, I'm a girl from West Virginia. So I'm, I'm super straightforward and, and, um, not really starstruck, which has done me very well. Um, cause humanity is humanity and we all suffer in all of our own kind of unique, but very similar ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, um, and then I opened Rama Institute for Applied Yogic Science Technology, which rolls right off the tongue. And, mm-hmm. um, we've been off to the races. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a blessed life uh, because I just, you know, get the privilege of, of, uh, teaching these, these practices that are so quick and so efficient and relieve so much tension and stress and give so much, um, to the practitioner in such a small amount of time that, um, it's very rewarding. And, and obviously that's why I wrote the book because I want anyone and no matter where they are to be able to have that great, powerful experience Mm, and from reading your bio even at the beginning like I can feel the passion and and intention you have for really kind of demystifying a bit around what kundalini is and really helping bring it to people in a very mainstream accessible kind of way uh, which is so powerful because even just through reading the book myself I already have a very different understanding of the power of kundalini yoga Um, when you first got into it what 
just explain the, the, the transformative shifts you were feeling. What is, what is it that Kundalini yoga has the ability to do for us? And like, what have you experienced for yourself? What do you witness in people and why is it so powerful? What sets it apart from say like a vinyasa flow type of yoga or ashtanga? Well, so what I noticed in myself was that kind of all of the talk about spiritual concepts of, oh, it's about love, it's about compassion, it's about oneness, it's about, you know, um, consciousness or all these kind of things that have been thrown around, these concepts that have been thrown around it through my kind of upbringing and my own study, all of a sudden they became very real and an actual visceral, real life, instantaneous experience. And that to me is, you know, we can talk till our faces are blue about what it's said in the yogic scriptures and, and what the great teachers have taught around compassion and around um, commanding or training the mind or the body in certain ways. But until you have an experience of it, it really means nothing. And that's why, you know, I, I could use a bunch of fancy terms for all these like yogic concepts or the architecture of our kind of yogic bodies and all this kind of stuff. But what good does it do anyone if they haven't had an experience? And that is one of the big shifts of the time that we're in right now, the age of technology it's it's an experiential age it's not an i believe it's an i experience and the thing that i love about kundalini yoga is it's so instantaneous that i can say to you okay this breath is going to change your glandular system and when your glandular system changes you think clearer you act clearer you have more of a kind of a clear-minded right action kind of viewpoint i can say that but until you've done breath of fire let's say which is one of the, the breaths I offer in the book until you've done and experienced that yourself. And then all of a sudden, a couple minutes later, you're like, Whoa, my eyesight's clearer. I feel more in my body. I feel more able to make a, a choice that's in alignment with my highest kind of, um, moral and, and kind of value, um, set. And, and so until you've had that experience, it means nothing. And that, that was, that's like a big, um, a big thing around Kundalini yoga is that it's, it's very, very experiential. So, um, that was, you know, that's one of the things mm -hmm. that is so transformative and what happened for me is that I had an experience of, whoa, my consciousness is expanding and this is my own, this is, you know, high on my own supply, not, you know, taking some ayahuasca or, you know, um, smoking some medicinal marijuana or what everyone, or whatever all the kids are doing these days, <laughs> um, for higher consciousness. This is my own system secreting my own pineal glands secreting my own glandular hormonal blood chemistry brain chemistry kind of shift that has created an expansion in my own consciousness created by my own practice now that's true empowerment and so that got me wild with with mm -hmm. passion to to share these teachings because you know people need to be empowered now it's a it's a time where um, there's so much going on and uh, there's mad men running the free world and 
and and the not free world and you know we're we're in a very interesting time politically um, in all around the world and so we need human beings that have a little bit of sanity and a little bit of uh, clear mindedness so that we can um, you know not blow each other up and save the earth and you know have a future basically. Hundred mm, percent. I feel like I love what you're sharing because it's this shift from the mind and the awareness consciousness knowing maybe previously in spirituality where it was all about the pursuit of the higher realms and from what I'm hearing of your what you're sharing you're having very visceral physical experiences you're feeling a tangible energy shift in your body in who you're being in how you're showing up um what do you see is the power of that grounding embodiment practice sort of in spirituality today or empowerment today for us how do you see that sort of fits into our spiritual practices well, this is a, a straight Yogi Bhajan teaching, which is that we're here, we, we're in a human incarnation to have the experience of our infinite selves in a finite vehicle. And that experience of infinity within the finite vehicle, which is the body, which is the physical experience, that is bliss. That is whatever you want to call enlightenment, those moments where you feel completely embodied in the physical form. And at the same time, the heart is open, the consciousness is open, the breath is deep. That's a true moment of ecstasy. And um, so, you know, we can, we can kind of talk about all of that, but until that's an experience and, and that can happen within 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds of one of these practices I share um, in, in the living. So it's not some sort of esoteric pie in the sky, have to, you know, get on a robe and meditate for you know, three years in a cave in the Himalayas. This is real right now in your life. You can do it while you're waiting to pick up your kids after school. Mm. And even what you're touching on now is this integration of our human physical selves and our spiritual selves, not a rejection of one or the other or and you know only being one or the other. Um, but there was something I was reading in your book which really stuck with me. I think it was in the final chapter about living out our destiny. And I think well, my experience and, and I hear from people when we go kind of on the spiritual journey is we can become a bit either judgmental or disassociated with certain aspects aspects of the physical self and the human experience. And I've, I've got a quote here that, that I pulled out from the book, which really resonated when you said you may, that you were talking about people not enjoying their jobs and thinking, I don't want to be in my job. It's not spiritual for me to be here. Um, right. And you said you may leave your job eventually, um, but you're not, and you never will be too spiritual for it. Your destiny is to vibrate and broadcast the biggest, most compassionate version of yourself. And you can do that anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I was talking about this this morning in class. Um, the, the mind is binary, so the mind is always going to be judging. Um, so I think it's a real kind of a spiritual misnomer around, you know, oh, I don't want to judge or I'm not judging or I want to judge less. It's a, that's a waste of time. The mind is always judging. We got to get over that part of it. That, that, that's like a major kind of spiritual kind of um, toxic thought form. Um, that, that's not, there's no way if you're in a body with a mind and the mind is the most incredible computer you ever have been given 
to Mm -hmm. operate. And we don't even know how to operate it in any way, shape or form as of yet. But we've been given this incredible computer that couldn't, there is not a faster, more sophisticated computer that can be created um, by man uh, on this planet. So you have it. It's called your mind. And the mind is binary in nature. So it's always going to be judging always. Mm -hmm. Now, it's what you do with that input. It's how you organize it. It's how you, um, you know, make it real. It's how you give it meaning. It's how you uh, kind of uh, integrate it into your life and into your um, thought forms and into your then your habit forms and your actions. So that's the first thing is that mm-hmm. we're, we're always judging. However, here we are in assignment, wherever you're on assignment, whether you're a greeter at Walmart or whether you're um, a receptionist or you're in, you know, you're, you're a tech person or whatever you're doing, whatever, wherever you're on assignment right now, that is, that is your destiny right this moment. And, and I was saying this, I think it's really, this is kind of my message for 2017, the destiny is found through your engagement and your relationship with wherever you're on assignment right this moment. The mm-hmm. destiny is not found with like, you know, um, some sort of kind of uh, reaching for something that isn't happening right now. The actual destiny relationship is how are you showing up for whatever you're on assignment for right this moment. And then, and then as you show up and, and you become like a, you know what you just read like that, that you become a higher vibration of possibility of human happiness, then you're naturally going to vibrate towards things that are more, maybe more in your wheelhouse. And you, maybe you don't even know what that is. Cause I think people get really like a little confused and scared if they don't know exactly what they like, what they want to do with themselves or what they want to do with their lives. Um, but my, my first step on that, on that kind of destiny path is just whatever, whatever's happening right now, whatever's on your plate, whatever's in front of you, whether it's parenthood or entrepreneurialism or you're, you know, a, a skilled tradesperson or it just, it doesn't even matter. No, no, all levels of every, all manner of things is, you know, you're on assignment and you can touch people and you can inspire people and you can, um, um, you can kind of become what Yogi Bhajan calls a lighthouse no matter where you are. But that's about your relationship with your reality. And that's really, you know, through mind training, through some sort of meditative practice, um, that's where you start to train yourself to relate with yourself and your reality in a more energetic and positive way. Mm, I think that is such a powerful message at the beginning of a year. You know, at the time of recording this, we're right at the start of 2017. And I know from just witnessing my own inner dialogue, and I'm sure other people do it too, is almost like you scan your reality and you're like, okay, what doesn't feel good? What don't I like? What's triggering me? What's annoying me? Okay, cool. I'm going to set some goals this year to try to get away from all that stuff and be, you know, in some more positive environment, which is on some level beautiful and supportive if it's the right next step for you but my experience has been that takes us into a space of resistance and like you're talking about with the judgment it's not so much trying to get rid of it but being aware of it and I love that you're talking about whatever is presenting in your reality right now is your assignment and I 
yeah, when we, when we approach it from the spiritual perspective, it's less about getting the external perfect, but being more aware of who we're being and how we're showing up in relationship to it. Yeah. Yeah. Really the relationship, it's a, it's a micro macro thing. So, you know, your relationship with everything, the moment, your breath, um, your, your body, uh, your mind, your relationship with these things, they create the, the micro macro we're, we're, we're in a holodeck. Um, for those of you who, you know, can, can give me a little shout out for my star Trek, my Trek, <laughs> my, my Trekkies out there. We're, we're in a, we're in a holodeck. And so everything's holographic. And so we're, whatever you're, however you're relating to one aspect of yourself, your reality, your work, your relationships, your love, your expression of your love, however that relationship, it, it vibrates and corresponds to every other relationship in your, um, in your being. And that's, that's why in the book I, I cover, I mean, I like to talk about sex anyways, but I cover relationship. I cover, mm-hmm. you know, all these things have to be addressed and Kundalini yoga is a householder practice. So everything becomes sacred. Everything becomes a, from eating to, um, you know, how you're parenting to how you're showing up in your work to how you're treating your body. It's all, it's all practice of this kind of, um, experience of your own infinity. Mm. or not, or not. And that's the the dance. (laughs) Mm. I love that you mentioned the word sacred. That's one of my key words for this year, actually. So I love that you mentioned that. Um, What would be a practice for someone to begin to take on if they want to, when we're in a relationship with something in our lives, that's kind of triggering us, bringing up emotion, um, creating a sense of resistance And I think you touch on the book, you know, there's always some form of lesson or learning in every experience for us or something to witness or or understand about ourselves. What would be a practice for someone who's witnessing that in their world and they actually want to create a shift in how they're relating to it? Well, this is, I think this is a really interesting, very practical practice. And if you start to do it, it it, it really will change you deeply. Um, which is basically in any given moment or in a challenging moment or a challenging relational moment or wherever you are, you take, um, uh, you know, you, this happens in a split second, especially once you start to train yourself, you put yourself, okay, you're in your perspective. Then you, you toggle out of your perspective into the perspective of whatever you're in relationship to at the time. So whether it's another person or a business or an environment or a child or whatever your kind of challenges at the moment, money, whatever. And you put yourself in the perspective of that other, the other, whatever the other is. And just look at, look at yourself, look at your behavior, look at how you're, you know, how you're moving, how you're speaking, how you're being. And then simultaneously you then toggle to the omnipresent kind of POV, which is watching both of you or, or whatever the, you know, the group of you or how, how whatever is, is the particular moment and watch how, you know, everyone's behaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you toggle back into your own experience and you can kind of do it a couple times if you need it, but usually, you know, one time of ta- of kind of moving out of your own perspective into the other perspective and then into the omnipresent perspective will give you 
I mean, it, it should give you a little humor because it's hilarious how, how we act. I mean, we're just ridiculous. We're so self-important and neurotic and, you know, we just like complain all the time and our negativity. And I mean, we're just hilarious. We're, we're, we're basically all in an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Like what, why Larry David is so hilarious is because he's just a, he's an extreme version of everyone's neurosis. And so that's a big, you know, so you, kind of toggle out of your own thing and you look at yourself and you watch yourself behaving badly like a child like a a ingrate a little ingrate toddler and then you know you kind of look at 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 the the two you know or whoever's involved in the situation you see it's like a bunch of humans playing out their little dramas and karmas and you know kind of give a little perspective that way and then you come back into yourself and the thing seems much less kind of heavy and ridiculous you know it just becomes funny I mean you know you're progressing on your spiritual path and in, in, in your own consciousness when the whole thing just starts to get really hilarious. Mm, mm. Yeah, so you're kind of stepping out to see it, not so you're in it so much anymore, but you can able to, are able to observe it and witness it and actually see the ridiculousness to some extent of how you're kind of um, responding or reacting in that situation. Yeah, all of our problems are problems, but, is, but almost every single problem has something to do with our self-importance. Mm-hmm. So if you start to work to kind of train your mind out of it, the habitual neurotic self-importance, then you know, things start to change a little bit. Like, you know, all of a sudden, maybe you don't have the right to be complaining or feeling sorry for yourself. Yogi Bhajan said, says self-pity is a pit that you get yourself into. And it's really quite a, um, it's a very, uh, it's the self-saboteur when we feel sorry for ourselves. And there's also, there's all sorts of subtle ways that we feel sorry for ourselves. Um, so part of, you know, part of, and I talk about this in the book, part of the practice is really cutting through your own self-deception, which is a term from uh, this teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. You cut through your own self-deception and get real about how you're feeling sorry for yourself and you think you're important enough to like, you know, get miserable or depressed right now when it's like, you know, people need you. People need you to show up and, 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 you know, be, be strong. And we need, you know, we, we need some real strong, empowered human beings on the planet, like badly. Mm. Mm, I love that perspective because so many people do teach that as a, as a powerful reminder for you know, I think many of us who feel to serve in some way, we just start getting, making it so much about us and that completely blocks our ability to serve. So it is that flip into, yeah, I love that. Who really, who needs us. Um, as we're talking about relationship, I want to dive into this with you in terms of the dynamic between men and women, because you touch on that in the book. And I love this type of conversation. I find it fascinating. Um, and one of the things you were talking about for women is our awareness of our energy and the energy that we are embodying and bringing. Um, I've got another quote that I pulled out where you said, if you are looking for a partner and you continuously find partners that are similar in some way, but not in the way that you want, you need to look at the the projection that you are broadcasting. Can you dive deeper into that for me in terms of us needing to be aware of what we are projecting and broadcasting? Yes. So 
part of the the real power of a woman. And uh, Yogi Bhajan said this, the 14th Dalai Lama, um, His Holiness the Dalai Lama has said this, which is, the Dalai Lama said it a little bit differently, but being a woman is a very high incarnation. And part of it is that we have so much power. Um, this is why, you know, for the past you know, 2,500 years, there's been a lot of um a lot of wars and and strife around trying to keep women um, out of roles of power. We're still kind of in the very end of this right now. Um, But women are very powerful. And so part of that, great power comes great responsibility. And one of our great powers is through our, what I call our energy field, or, or the yogic term would be aura, um, so this kind of, this, this energy that we carry as women, um, the, you know, you could also call it Shakti or whatever. There's lots of different terms for it. Um, but we, you know, you can, you can, a woman who has good energy and loves herself and is confident at any age, you can see her coming miles away. Mm-hmm. It's just that radiance and that beauty and that confidence. There's just nothing like it. It's, it's, it's the face that launched a thousand ships. You know, this is the, this is the power of woman. And so because we have that power, we were always kind of, you know, there's another, there's another great quote. If mom is not happy, nobody's ain't nobody happy. Um, you know, if the woman is not happy or she is, you know, kind of projecting a certain, I, I see a lot of women projecting a certain kind of like, um, uh, sex kind of projection. Um, and so they often get that reciprocal, which are men who want to have sex with them, but not want to commit to them. And this is often, you know, a very common, uh, complaint of modern women, which is they're, they basically kind of identified, um, solely in their own beauty and sex appeal. Mm. Therefore they're attracting men who are kind of living in that level. Men have to be reminded to live on a, a higher level of, of kind of the human incarnation, else many of them will live just like on that animal level, which is part of the human, um, but it's just one part of the human. So when a woman is radiant and, and higher and, 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 you know, kind of higher, um, uh, minded about her relationship with herself and sees herself as more than just a physical being, um, then the, a man will treat you differently and, and relate to you differently and won't just want to have sex with you and never call you again. Mm -hmm. So, um, you can really see, and, and this is, it's a good experiment for women out there, especially like single women who are, are wanting to attract, um, a partner it, particularly if you're a straight woman um, and you're you're looking to attract a man, um, this you know you just pay attention. But it, it's true for same sex as well. So this is true for same sex partnerships. Just pay attention to the through line of what you're attracting, the thing that you didn't like about the last three guys that you dated, and then start to you know if you were a man what would, you know, basically ask yourself, if you were the man that you want to attract, what kind of woman would you be looking for? Mm. And then start to like put that through as an intention, as a prayer, as a, as a, you know, it doesn't have to be like, this stuff is all very subtle. So it doesn't have to be, 
although you can actually do some things about it too, but I'm just first step is like, okay, if I, if I, you know, if you take a man into a room and you, then there's, you know, like a, whatever you're at a restaurant or a bar and you ask a man, okay, what, what woman would you want to have sex with? Which woman and what woman would you want to marry? Um, there, it's really interesting. Men will, uh, pick the same women in a room that they would marry and the same women in a room that they would just have sex with, um, almost a hundred percent of the time. And it totally has to do with her projection, how she relates to herself. And the woman that he would want to marry is a woman who has a relationship with her own infinity and is, and it, and that is, you know, something he can feel in her because Mm. a man wants a woman to bring him to his own and his infinity. It's a bridge for him between kind of the burden of being a man and the, the beauty, a woman, a good woman who a man wants to commit to and, and, um, have a deeper experience with has the ability to bring him from his kind of finite experience and all the burdens of money and success. And, you know, men, men see life in a very kind of burdensome way that a woman who's radiant and has a beautiful, like flowing energy, she can, there's something of God in her to not to use that word. And if you don't like that word, there's something, there's something celestial or angelic about her. And he, and there's that he can experience that. And so it's very interesting. We do this as an experiment. When you take men into a room and you say, which of these women would you just have sex with? And which would you want to marry? And they, they pick the same women. And I love, I love, as you're talking about that, I was just getting lost in your words because you know, I can, I can feel that description of that woman that you're talking about and the way that a woman harnesses her own body and her power and her energy. And, um, I I support a lot of women with their relationship with themselves. And when they come to a conversation around self-love, there's so much emphasis on the body, like, like our appearance and our body is everything. And it means so much about us. I think we've had that drilled in through media that to be loved, you need to be beautiful or you need to look a certain way. So I love that you're, you're sharing this is this reflection of our relationship with ourself that most likely if we have that overemphasis on our physicality and our appearance and, and projecting that as being, that's what makes us valuable or lovable. Um, you know, that's what we're going to receive the attention for from others. Where do you guide a woman to begin on this journey? Is it, is it part of having her spiritual practice of, of creating more of this inner energy and decreasing the emphasis on her physicality? Well, I think that there's major magic in a woman having, um, there's two things that I think are magic for women. One is having intimacy and true, um, healthy and, and beautiful relationships with other women. Um, I think that that is a a really a must in, um, having a good relationship then with her romantic interests, because then a woman's getting one, you know, the chatting and the gossiping and the, and, you know, certain things that women need to do. Yogi Bhajan called it the peanut hour. All women need to like chit chat and gossip in like at least an hour a day. Um, and a lot of women who don't have good community and, and other women to relate with, they take that to men or, you know, or their partners. And, um, if you are in a, a, a hetero 
relationship, men do not want to chit chat with you and they do not want, want to gossip for the most part, for the most part, you know, there are some exceptions to the rule. So there's an intimacy that women can have with each other. They will satisfy a certain amount of neediness that, uh, men, many men complain about with women. It's one of the things that make them not want to commit because they feel like this woman is, you know, needy in a way that I will never be able to satisfy her. And it makes a man not want to commit to her mm. or, or pull back commitment from her because they just feel, because ultimately men actually want to make women happy. And if they feel like this woman is going to be impossible to make happy, they won't want to commit. And, and one of these little secrets is having other women in your life that you have intimate, close and satisfying relationship with. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's this kind of platonic deep intimacy that is really important for women um, to have with each other. So that's one thing. The other thing is the deep intimacy with yourself. And that I, I would say comes from some sort of movement, dance, breath, meditative type of practice. And, um, I don't think that just like a spinning class can do it. I think it's, that's awesome too, but you need some sort of touch into your own infinite nature, which requires a little bit more than, you know, a, a kind of just straight fitness experience. Mm, and awakening more of that softness and that sensuality and that sexuality, which I know through my experience of using things like dance is, is, uh, much more of a doorway to that than, than going to the gym and running on the treadmill. <laughs> it very much, very much. Yeah. It needs to be, you know, I mean, up until not too long ago, women danced every single morning and oftentimes in community. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's not, uh, it's not, it's in our epigenetics for women to kind of need to express and move and, and find joy in their bodies in a way that's not just like a plank and a, you know, hour long spin class, you know? Mm, absolutely. Um, and so when you talk about just in this dynamic of relationship for people who are in relationship, when you talk about a woman, you know, being aware, we, we have a lot of needs, I think, as women. It's probably why we've been described as needy. And I love that you talk about us finding all these other ways to meet those needs rather than just um, asking a man to kind of be all of that for us, to be our girlfriend and our, and our mother and our partner and all the different things for us. So for people in relationship, what are the key things they need to know about their roles? You know, one of the things I, I saw you read about women was developing this devotion to, to a man, that that's a big part of what our role is. So what's something that a woman needs to keep in mind in terms of really how she needs to be interacting with her man or showing up around her man? Well, um, you know, I think devotion is is a lost art post feminism, mm. and um, and I and I understand. I mean, we're dealing with a lot of um, we're dealing with a lot of pain of violence and misunderstanding between the sexes, and you know, so we've been through a lot. You know, and I think it's it's affected um, both men and women. So it's not we we all our whole society has has been weakened from the. Um, nature of our relationship between men and women in the past 2000 years. And so this is really this kind of age that we're just cresting into is an age of, of healing a lot of that and of, um, kind of transcending a lot of that kind of, um, um, 
you know, just misunderstanding and, and violence that's been enacted really culturally on our whole, like on the whole species, not just man, not just woman. So that being said, devotion, I think, is very misunderstood, uh, especially in the West, because it, it, it's been kind of co it's been collapsed with um, weakness or, um, you know, some sort of kind of subjugation of, of the species. And so I think it's a it's a delicate um, practice and, and understanding that devotion to, um, a man feeling that a woman is devoted to him in a way that she is not going to kind of, uh, waste his resources or, um, which is also waste his time and energy. So if you're, you know, mm-hmm. uh, incredibly emotionally needy or you're very, very moody or, you know, explosive, which are all, again, these are just like energetic things of, of, uh, the female, which are, were very cyclical and we, we, you know, were unpredictable and these are all incredible things about women, but, um, unchecked, they can become this exhaustive kind of thing for men. A man's always looking at his resources. Is this woman going to waste my resources? So that's time and money and energy. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's, and so devotion kind of it fits into that in a way that you, you know, ultimately, I'm not saying we all have our moments, but ultimately you're devoted to, uh, helping that man find his, uh, mission and support him in finding his mission. Cause every man is on a, a hero's journey, just as every woman is on a heroine's journey, but it's, it's in their limbic system that mm. they're in, you know, they're on this hero's journey. So this is like, if you, if you uh, imagine that your man is the best man in the world and that he's a hero and you're, you know, there to support his hero's journey, then that, that's just a very simple way to start to kind of align yourself with his, his mission. So that's not nagging him. That's not, you know, um, exploding at him and wasting, you know, or, you know, it's, it's, it's being, it's being devoted to whatever his mission is. And then, I mean, this is the thing when a man loves a woman and the reason a man loves a woman is because he feels that she is supporting his mission and she's not going to just drag him down energetically and otherwise, um, his, his, his love is very, you know, loyal. And you hear a lot of men in the, in divorce saying like, I didn't want this. I didn't, you know, in fact, I think women are much more, um, fickle around, uh, marriage and sex. And in fact, I know around marriage and sex and, you know, uh, the, if there's a man that's paying more attention to her, you know, the women will jump to the next man who's pay- paying more attention to her way quicker than a man will. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, a, it's, 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 it's an interesting thing, but yeah, this conversation of devotion is, is, you know, you just align yourself with his, his mission and, and make it important. And I, I'm a career woman and I'm obviously, you know, very committed to my own mission as well, but with my partner, like that's a really important part of our relationship is that I'm kind of supporting his mission. 
Yeah, beautiful. And that just ties in so perfectly to what you were saying before, even about our own self-importance. I think sometimes as women, we can be a bit, even sometimes the rise of female empowerment is like, here's what I want and need from a man. And he has to be this for me. And I think sometimes we're not also stopping to thinking, well, who do I want to be for him? And what is he wanting and needing from the relationship? It's obviously flowing both ways, but that's a beautiful perspective of um, how we can show up for him rather than it being kind of all about us, which I think we can sometimes do. (laughs) Yeah. The modern, I mean, all these modern girls, like uh, I always joke, it's like they have it on their, on their iPhone seven, their list of like demands (laughs) that like a man's going, you know, like my man's going to be this, 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 and you know, and this, that, and if he doesn't, and I mean, there's just like all this whole, which is, it is this kind of toxic mimic of what it actually means to be a liberated woman. Um, and this is why we're in the trouble we're in. So many women are, you know, feel like there's no good men out there. Well, the, the good men are right in front of you, but you kind of haven't, you know, you, you haven't spent a lot of time like wondering how you can bring the best out in your man. And I can tell you, I, I work with, I do this every day in my own personal relationship. I make it a daily commitment. Like how, what, what can I do to support, you know, him and his freedom and his mission, you know, in a deeper way today? Like, how can I, how can I do that? Mm. And so, um, and then I think, you know, your relationship will monumentally change. That is such a beautiful question to ask yourself every day, every day, and even outside of your relationship with your partner, but in everything. I I think that's a really powerful thing. It just helps us get out of our own little small worlds where we're just so obsessed about ourselves and our needs, and it helps us think about the bigger picture. Um, Guru Jagat, this has been such an incredible conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but there's so much wisdom and guidance in your book that I really recommend people go out and grab a copy of Invincible Living. And there'll be links to that below the show notes of this episode, because you really dive quite deeply into everything that we've been talking about today. And there's a lot of Kundalini practices and other recommendations that people can use to really implement it too. So I recommend people grab that. Um, Can you just share with my audience where people can find out more about you and the book and maybe even some things you've got coming up in the next couple of months if people want to be involved with what you're doing? Yeah, well, uh, um, my website, gurujagat.com, G-U-R-U-J-A-G-A-T, has my full tour schedule. We're always, um, you know, we're always on the road. And obviously, there's a tour for the book. So we'll be in D.C. and New York and um, in some Southern California locations. And, and then that'll also branch out. And we're, we're always in Europe because of my, um, my studio in Palma de Mallorca, Spain. Um, so that's, that's happening and there's retreats and, and all that kind of stuff happening this year. Um, also if you want to find me and practice with me, um, rama-tv.com is my online, um, platform and my class goes up every day and we have all sorts of fun free content and you can also become a member for less than uh, what it costs to go to a yoga class so that's a that's a fun resource as well um and thank you so much for your your words about the book i'm so happy that you you're enjoying it Mm, 
I'm looking forward to diving back into it, actually getting out my little pencil and highlighter and, you know, <laughs> getting a little bit deeper because it's awesome. And thank you so much awesome. for your time. It's been really beautiful chatting with you. I really appreciated it. Thank you for your wonderful questions. And uh, thank you for the work you're doing on the planet. My absolute pleasure. And thank you to all of you who have been tuned into Awaken Radio today. I'd love to hear your comments and thoughts and feedback on this episode. So come on over to my blog at ConnieChapman.com and let us know what you think or pop on over to Guru Jagat's work as well and um, share your thoughts with her. But I will chat to you guys next time on Awaken Radio. Thanks so much. Bye.